0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. So we're going we're gonna to start out with reading through a good little chunk of Scripture. So you're going to have to bear with me as we go through. It's a great story. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to read through that, um, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the rest of the meat of our message. To kind of set this up for you real quick, we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel. So um, I love the stories of David. I love um, talking and listening and learning about David's life. Um, This is one of the one of the best features of David's life I believe that I think is super applicable to what we do today when it comes to friendship Um, We're going to talk about David's relationship with Jonathan who was the son of Saul who was the king of Israel Uh, Most of you have probably read the story most of you have probably done some time studying on the story as a matter of fact You've probably heard someone get before you and speak about friendship and use this as a point of reference but it's such a good depiction of what friendship is supposed to look like and what I believe God designed us um, to look like in friendship with our, with our brothers and our sisters. So to kind of set the stage, you know, David, um, after he had, he had um, slain Goliath and, and took off his head, he was praised throughout the land of Israel, and Saul um, took a, a great liking to David. He put him over um, some different factions of his army. Um, David was going through some really, really good times. There was A lot of good things were going right for David. Like I hope there's a lot of good things going right for you guys. But unfortunately, throughout the course of that, um, Saul began to get jealous and disgusted over David's success. So Saul knew that God had called David to be the next king of Israel. But I don't think that Saul was ready to relinquish that role yet to David. And so David took a liking and became a very close friend to Saul's son, Jonathan. And so that's what we're going to pick up in the story, is where Jonathan is kind of finds his place, finds himself in a place that's kind of between his good, dear, best friend David and his father Saul, who's the king of Israel. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. So again, we're going to go through... A good amount of scripture today. Um, what we're about to read, we're going to jump through first Sam, uh, Samuel a little bit. So just kind of bear with me and try to uh, try to keep up where you can. So in First Samuel eighteen one through four, it says after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. Very important. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. There's something that's really important about that that we'll talk about here in just a few moments. So Jonathan makes this covenant with David, so we're going to skip some. I'm just going to again set this next part up for you, and this is about the time where David started having some difficulty with Saul. Saul started seeking out, seeking out David um, because he was jealous, um, and even sort of making, making threats of death towards David. So First Samuel nineteen one through 7 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. And four, it says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. Talking about Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan. And took, and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was, was with Saul as before. So we're going to jump down a little bit more. So um, Saul had given this oath to, to his son Jonathan I, I, that I'm not going to harm David. But what we see here is that wasn't the real intention of Saul's heart. Um, in 1 Samuel 20, 40 through 42, it says, Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times. What happened here was David was sent out into the wilderness, and he was hiding from from Saul, um, and he was missing a big festival that was going on and and Jonathan recommended, hey, go out into the, go out into the wilderness, hide, let me, let me see if my father is really trying to kill you, and then I'll come give you a signal and let you know, hey, is he trying to kill you, or is this something that we're worried about we shouldn't be worried about? So it says, he went out, um, David came, bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. Very important. We have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. So at this point, Jonathan has, has let David know, Hey, look, my Saul is, is, is serious about wanting to see you dead. He's called me to kill you. He's called his servants to kill you. Um, he's out to get you. 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 16 says, While David was at... Horish in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and said, and helped him find strength in God. So again, David, Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. He said, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Let's pray real quick. Father, again, we love you, Lord. We just thank you again for this day, Father. We thank you um, for another opportunity to come into your house, Lord, to worship you, to, um, to just be ministered to, Father. Uh, God, I, I thank you for our, our time of worship earlier, Lord. Uh, Father, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you for, um, for giving us a manual for how we're supposed to live our lives as a believer and as a Christian and as a, as a follower of your son, Jesus. Um, Lord, I ask you that today you'll, you'll help these scriptures just to just take root in our heart, Father. Um, the things that um, that are pressing on us when it comes to friendship and, and taking care of those people that are important to us, Lord, that you'll just give us some guidance and direction in um, the way that you see fit. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us in your perfect name. Amen. Amen. So that's a, it's a great story. I'm assuming a lot of people have read that before. Really, really good story. And it gives a good depiction of what friendship is supposed to look like, a good biblical depiction of friendship. So, give you a story real quick, a personal story of mine. So um, on April the 2nd, yes Easter was on the 1st, am I right? Yep, April the 2nd was a Monday. Um, uh, I had I had to go to Indianapolis um, with some clients of mine for a work-related trip. And um, one of those clients is a guy that moved here from Minneapolis um, probably, I don't know, five years or so ago. And over the course of the past five years, um, me and this fellow, his name is Jason. We'll just leave it at that. Um, we've become pretty good friends. Um, there's probably some holes that I'm missing that we'll talk about today that I could be a better biblical friend to this to this guy. But but we've we've become pretty good friends. Not just face, Facebook friends, but actually pretty good friends. We like a lot of the same things. He loves to fish. I love to fish. Um, he likes the Astros, as you know. I like the Astros. Um, he likes to work out. I'm not big on working out. Um, but I like that he likes to work out. It's good for him. Um, I really do. <laughs> there there's, there's several things that me and this guy have in common, and I do consider as good friends. Um, the one thing that we probably um, don't have as much in common, and maybe this is the thing that he looks at me and says, "Hey, but I'm happy for you that you get to do this, is I love to travel. I love to travel. I love to go um, places. I love on the weekends even to go to different little areas of Louisiana or, or little pockets of Houston that I haven't been to before and spend the weekend and hang out. Um, I also love to fly on a plane. Do we have anyone in here that, that, that likes flying on a plane? Like you enjoy it. It's peaceful to you. Anyone who is terrified of flying on a plane? Ah, right, there we go. I know a few honest people. So my friend Jason is one of those fellows that is – Terrified of flying on a plane. Since he made his trip down here five years ago to move to Southeast Texas, um, I don't know. I, I don't think he's been on a plane since then. Um, for me, I get I get to hop on a plane um, pretty regularly, several times a year, if not if not more. And um, I don't mind long flights. I don't mind short flights. I just it just doesn't bother me at all. And so on that Tuesday, we had flown to Indianapolis. We went and, and did some work out there, and then we actually came back on the third. So if you guys recall, the third. There was a pretty good storm that was moving through Houston and into southeast Texas. We didn't, we didn't fly out from Indy until probably about, I'd guess, probably 6 o'clock or something like that. It was pretty late in the evening. That's about the time the storm was coming through. There was actually some talk while we were at the airport in Indy that they were going to potentially delay our flights because the flight would be too rough coming back um, and flying into Houston. And so I like I don't mind flying out of Beaumont. I'll fly out of the regional airport and go to Houston or Dallas and connect and go somewhere else. And if you ever fly out of that airport, these are some pretty small planes. Sometimes they're even the ones that somebody's calling me. They should be calling me during church, they should be in church. I should be a better friend and invite them to church. <laughs> right. And so sometimes, like some of those planes even have like the propellers on the front, like not the front front, but on the sides where the engines are. I mean, these are, they call them pond jumpers, little bitty planes. And if you ever hit a pocket of turbulence in one of these planes, it gets pretty sketchy sometimes. Like it really does. It'll, if you're not familiar with it, it'll shake you up. Anyway, and so we're flying back from, from Indianapolis, and we get on this small plane. It was a little bit bigger than the one with the propellers, but it was still what they call an Embraer jet, however you pronounce it. Um, which is a pretty small plane, probably only holds roughly 30 to 35 people. Those big 757s and planes like that, you go through turbulence, sometimes you don't even feel it, depending on where you're at in the plane. But on these things, you feel every single bit of wind, every cloud, everything that you go through. So, we get to this point. So, me being the good friend that I am. um, We're sitting, I have two rows, two seats to myself right here, because we had jumped up because the plane wasn't full. And then my buddy, Jason, was sitting in the, the row, or the, the seats adjacent to me over here. And we're cruising, and the, um, the captain comes on, the, the, oh, actually the, the, uh, the stewardess had come on first and said, hey, look, guys, do us a favor. Um, please make sure your elbows and, and, uh, and knees and ankles are out of the aisles just in case we have to come running. They said this. I'm dead serious. In case we have to come running down the aisle. And so we're like, hmm, that, that, that raises some, some reason for concern. <laughs> It still not gotten bad yet. We hit a couple of pockets, but nothing bad yet. And so then we, we look, and it's it's there's pretty. It's, it's getting dark outside, a beautiful horizon through the, um, through the windows. And all of a sudden, it just gets dark. Like, I felt like, like the disciples on the boat when the storm hit. Like, it just gets really, really, really dark. Like, um, any Lost fans? Anyone ever watch Lost, the show Lost? If you don't, I'm sorry. If you, if you do or did, you'll appreciate this. Remember the black fog? It looked like we were riding through the black fog. Like, and so and there's lightning striking on the outside, and then the captain comes on the, over the intercom, and he says, um, passengers, if you could do me a favor, if you make sure your seat backs are sitting up, make sure your tray tables are lifted up and secured, make sure your seatbelt is tightly fastened, just in case we have to do some maneuvering. So again, raises lots of reason for concern. And so I've honestly flown through some pretty good turbulence, and so it, it, I wasn't that concerned but what we found out, and you can actually look on the United app and see where you're flying and the conditions you're flying and while you're actually in the air flying, we got stuck in the middle of the storm. Like we were literally stuck in the middle of the storm, and we couldn't get out. We couldn't go to the left. We couldn't go to the right. The they, the, the tower wouldn't allow him to maneuver out of the storm, so we were just stuck dead square in it. So, again, me being the good friend that I am, that's why we're talking about this today. There's a couple of ladies who are in front of us, and um, – probably two seats in front of Jason, and one's crying. I mean, she's, she's bawling. Um, there's stuff that's falling out of the overhead bins. Um, oftentimes, you can look at the stewardess and tell what kind of situation you're really in. If the steward is laughing and just joking around and she or he looks fine, then you're probably okay. But when their knuckles are white from gripping the edge of their seat so tight and they fly probably 20 times a day, yeah, reason for concern. There's, people, there's, there's some people behind us who are, um, who are <laughs> praying in Spanish. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting pretty sketchy on this plane. So this is the point of the story. So my good friend Jason, he sits up and he looks at me. I can, his face is pale and he's sweating, and I can tell that he's, in, he's in, in pretty bad shape. And he looks at me and says, Spud, what is going on? Are we going to be okay? And like any good friend would do, I look back at Jason and say, dude, I've never done this before. I think we might die. <laughs> well, needless to say, Jason spent the next several minutes, and, and meanwhile, I'm texting Kiki while I'm on the plane, because you can do that on planes now, and saying, hey, we're in some pretty bad turbulence, this is pretty sketchy, and, um, and my buddy, like, I genuinely, I felt bad, because for, for probably about two to three minutes, I think he was honestly contemplating his death, and so, anyway, so, the point of today is to not be that friend, okay? <laughs> that is not a good biblical friend, so... That sets the stage for us. Thank you for letting me tell that story. <laughs> but I do believe, in order to continue this conversation today, we have to somewhat define what a biblical friendship is. Because if I were to speak to, if I were to go each aisle independently and say, hey, can you tell me what a friend is, I can almost guarantee you would get probably 25 different variations of what makes a good friend. What is a good friend and what is not a good friend. You know, it's kind of like when you were in. in in middle school or in elementary or maybe even college, I don't know, whenever, like, you had to define who your friends are, like, like you may be my friend, like, you're my friend, but you're my BFF, like, you're my best friend, right? And, like, then when you're, like, in elementary, I ask my son all the time, hey, son, who's your best friend? Well, I got one, like, my number one best friend, but then I have my number two best friend, like, you only have one best friend, like, there's only one best, right? And so you have to define what that friendship looks like, or maybe it's a, maybe it's an early romantic relationship where, you ask Miss Cindy Lou if, if she'd like to to be your, your sweetheart. And so you send that letter over to her desk and it says circle yes or no. Are you my girl? Are we are you my friend that's a girl? Or are you my girlfriend, right? You have to put you have to put an actual definition and description on what that relationship is. Does that make sense? All right. So we're gonna talk about a few things that I think um, help us define what biblical friendship is not and what it is. But before we do that, let me throw a quick disclaimer at you. Um, this conversation this morning is, for me, gives me a tendency to look outward. It gives me a tendency to look at my friends and say, man, you know what, you need to be a better friend. Buddy Cooper, you should stop talking and be a better friend and listen to me. (laughs) I love Buddy very much so. You should be a better friend. But oftentimes, I find that I need to kind of point that arrow back in my own direction and see what I can do to be a better friend to those people that I love. Okay, So as we go through this stuff, it goes both ways. It's, hey, what do we expect of our friends, but also what can we do to be better friends? So number one, this is really the most basic. This is the thing that, that everything else kind of, kind of flows from is a biblical friendship is not centered on the world. It's not centered on the world and the desires of this world. A biblical friendship is centered on Christ alone to have a biblical friendship like David and Jonathan had. See, Jonathan understood the calling that was on David's life. Jonathan understood that David was called to be the next king of Israel. So that relationship has got to be centered on Christ. If me and Ray are good buddies and we're going to hang out, we're going to do some fun stuff, we have to make sure that our relationship is centered around our relationship with Christ and spreading the gospel throughout all the land. Make sense? All right, number two. A biblical friendship is not convenient, but it's a commitment. It's not convenient, it's a commitment. To kind of give you an idea of what a convenient relationship looks for, I I have several of them, several. Um, And again, understand, guys, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have acquaintances. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be friendly to people. But we're talking about a, a good accountability partner, a good biblical friend. So a convenient relationship, maybe an example would be um, maybe someone at a restaurant that you frequent often, right? I used to wait tables through college, and, and I had several, several people who would come in and eat on their 7 o'clock Monday night. I knew that these two people would be there. And I'll admit that I had a couple of those people who, um, who I did become close friends with, who... Um, helped minister to me and, and kind of raise me up in Christ. Um, some people that saw some value in me and, and, and gave, gave their time and effort, and they would come in and they would eat and they would talk and they would minister. And then um, even on the, on the times when I was off, they would call and invite me to different functions of their church and things like that, people that I would call friends. But the majority of those people that would come in and sit in my section and eat, it was more of like a consumer-based relationship. They liked me. I was a nice guy. I liked them. They were nice people. I was really good at bringing them food and they were really good at giving me tips. That makes sense. So it's not that we didn't like each other, but it was a very convenient friendship. It was a very convenient relationship. Maybe it's a a work-based relationship. Um, I had the opportunity early in in my professional career to spend 11 years with one company and, and I thought that I'd Um, I thought that some of these people that I worked with at that point were like family members. I mean, I had spent every single day with them for a very long time. We had traveled. We had done things. We'd been through tough times, been through good times. Um, We had seen some losses. We had seen some successes. But it's crazy that after the 11 years when I left that company, that probably 99% of those people I haven't spoke to one time since I walked out that door. Ever happened to any of you guys? Um, My boy, Buddy Cooper actually met Buddy back in, in the old working days. So, again, there's, in, in those convenient relationships, definitely something can be spawned out of it that becomes a biblical relationship. But for the most part, that's going to be a convenient relationship. What we're talking about as a biblical relationship um, is something more along the lines of what David and Jonathan had. In 1 Samuel 18, 3 and 4, we'll go back to that real quick. It says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So the first thing we'll point out there is that these two men had a covenant. And they had a covenant before God. This wasn't just, hey, man, we're cool, we're going to be friends. Like, they had a covenant before God. Now, I'll tell you, I've never... I've personally never sent a letter to like one of my dude friends and been like, hey, dude, like, can we for real be friends? You know, like, Are we BFFs or what's the deal? Um, but, but I will say we've had some verbal commitments to one another. I've said, hey, man, I got your back. A good friend of mine, a fellow named Jonathan Bradley, um, a very, very dear friend of mine, he was my account- accountability partner when I was in high school going through my youth group. Um, and We spent many summer camps together and things like that, and I can tell you to this day, um, he, could call, he, he now lives in San Antonio, just moved out there with him and his nice little family. He could call me after service and say, hey, I need you, and I would not hesitate to drive straight there and go take care of him. That's a commitment. That commitment wasn't assumed. That commitment was something that we discussed. We talked about a long time ago. Hey, brother, I got your back. We're parting ways. We're going different ways. You're going to this school. I'm going to that school. But if you ever need me because of our bond in Christ Jesus, you call me and I'll be there. And I'll also commit to pray for you and your family and your future family and your future endeavors as time goes on. Does that make sense? All right. So doesn't mean you've got to pass a note. doesn't mean you've got to sign a contract. But often there is a verbal commitment that goes along with this. And what we see here from Jonathan to David is a sign of the covenant and a sign of the commitment because it says that Jonathan took his robe and his, his bow and he took his, even his sword, which is a very revered thing back then, and gave it to David. It was a sign of saying, hey, look, I am, um, I am going to be sacrificial to you. I'm going to give you the things that I have because I'm in covenant and committed to you doing what God has called you to do. How many of you have ever given over your, maybe your favorite, I don't know, chainsaw to your buddy because he needs a chainsaw and it's your favorite chainsaw and you give him your chainsaw. Right, And it's like that's something that you work for, something that you, that you own, something that is in your shed where it goes in its spot, but your buddy needs a chainsaw, so you'll get that chainsaw and you give it to him. Even at the risk, that buddy never brings that chainsaw back. Right? So imagine how Jonathan felt giving away his robe, his sword, his arrow to David, and these are things that were important and belonged to Jonathan, but he was willing to give those things up because he had a covenant and he was committed to that relationship. Or your fishing pole. I never give up my fishing pole, man. Number three. A biblical relationship is not intended to tear us down. A biblical relationship is not intended to tear or bring us down. It is intended to lift us up. So I, I, I got some... Some uh, mixed feedback from my wife on whether we we're going to do this little piece of the, of the message this morning, but we're going to go ahead and throw it out there. That's how we roll. You all have heard this song. Um, so I've got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. I bet you can all sing it. and No one's singing it. You aren't making me look silly up here. You aren't good friends. <laughs> right? We've heard this song. This is actually if you grew up in the era that I grew up in, or I suspect if you're younger than me or maybe even a little bit more seasoned than I am, either way, this is an anthem for friendship. If me and my old high school and college buddies get together I can om- and we light a bonfire, I can almost guarantee you that that song will be played a minimum of one time, and I can also almost guarantee you that when we play it, every single soul who is at that bonfire Maybe even the people at the bonfire next to us are going to start singing that song. <laughs> How many people know the words of that song? Yeah, exactly, right? It's the anthem of friendship. Here's the deal, guys. This, I'm not here to, to condemn um, whiskey drinking or um, beer drinking. I'm not here to condemn um, putting on the old cowboy boots and kicking it around in the old sawdust at the, at the saloon across town. But I am here to condemn pulling your friends down to low places. See, here's, here's, a, here's a really, really, really important truth about good friendship. If, it's in t- if biblical friendship is intended for me to edify and pull you up, I can't pull you up if I'm down. Makes sense? If I'm in a place of, of, I'm not saying I'm going through some tough times, because here's the deal. David went through, went through some extremely tough times. There's a lot of strong um, believers who have a solid, tremendous foundation in the Bible, who go through some really, really, really tough times. Understand that your circumstances and your times, they don't define where you're at. We're called to live above those things. We're called to find our joy in Jesus. We're called to be overcomers, to be defeated. Be, be defeaters of sin in the grave because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ defeated sin and the grave. We talked about it Easter last week or the week before last, whatever it was. So just because you're going through tough times, that doesn't mean that you can't be living in a high place where Jesus is at. And so the only way that you can pull that friend up is if you yourself are prepared and you yourself are tuned in and you yourself are living in a place that is higher than the low. Fair enough? I don't want to be pulled down to low places. It's a great song. It's a great, if you've ever been to a Garth Brooks concert, it's a phenomenal concert. Personally, I think you ruin country music, but it's a great concert. It's a whole different conversation. But we're welcome. To, if you're my friends, we can have that conversation. Biblical friendship also is supposed to strengthen us in Christ. It says in Scripture that Jonathan went out to strengthen David in God. To strengthen him in God, not to tear him down, not to pull him away, but to strengthen him in God. And also under that same topic, this one's, this one's big. If you're, if you're taking notes or not, jot this one down, put it in the middle bank, whatever the case may be. Biblical friendship reaffirms God's calling on you or your friend's life. If it's a true biblical friend, they know what God has called you to do. They know what God intends for you to do. They know the path that God is laying out for you to, to do in your life, to do and be in what he's called you to do. And a biblical friendship will pull you into that, pull you up into that in spite of what it does for themselves. See, something that's pretty unique and, and neat about this. Let me find my reference here. It says, While David was at Horus in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David, Um, at Horesh and helped him find strength in God and told him, don't be afraid. He said, my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. This is where it gets really, really good. He says, you will be king over Israel. Jonathan says, look, I know that God has anointed you to be the next king of Israel. And as a good friend, I'm here to reaffirm and tell you and remind you, hey, I know you're afraid. I know the king of Israel is trying to hunt you down and chop off your head. But don't forget, my dear friend, David, that God has called you and anointed you to be the next king of Israel. That's the calling on your life. But here's where it gets really, really good, and we know how good of a, have a friend Jonathan is, is he says, you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. I will be second to you, David. Why is that important? Because keep in mind also, Jonathan is who? He's Saul's son. So who is the earthly heir to the, to the, to the throne? It's Jonathan. So Jonathan says, look, not only am I raising you up and lifting you up into what God's called you to be, but I also understand that I lose my earthly position in order for God's promise to be fulfilled in your life. Man, how powerful is that? How many friends do you have right now that would do that same thing for you? They would put themselves back, take a step back, take a a step out of the spotlight to have it put on you because that's what God has called you to be. A better question is how many friends would you do that for? How many friends would you do that for? How many friends would you allow your life to take something that is yours, something that's promised to you, not by God, but promised by this earth, promised by your hard work, promised by your bloodline, promised by your inheritance, and you're willing to give that up for a friend, it's a big deal. Biblical friendship is not to tear us down, it's to lift us up. Number four, biblical friendship is not self-serving. It is sacrificial. And next to to a relationship being Christ-centered, this is probably the most important one at least in my opinion. There's probably room for some argument there and debate. But in my opinion, it is. Again, Jonathan would have benefited greatly if he would have done what his father told him to do and went and killed David. He had a lot to gain. He had a lot to gain. I can tell you, speaking from personal experience, I'm not, it's not something that I'm proud of. But there's definitely been times that I've kind of pushed my friends to the side because I knew I was the one that was do that, I knew the one that I I was the one that I thought deserved that. That's not very sacrificial of me, right? It's not being a good friend. See, Jonathan was unbelievably sacrificial. He gave up his inheritance to see that David achieved what God called him to do. Jonathan put down his own status and disobeyed not only his father, but his father who was the king of Israel. to adhere to the covenant that he made to David and to adhere to the promise that he knew God made on David's life. It's a big risk. John 15, 13. It's what Jesus said himself about sacrifice for our friends. He says, you've heard this before, it says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's something that Jesus said um, shortly before he went to be crucified on the cross, it's pretty important. There, there's, there's no representation of love in a friendship and relationship, than to lay down your life for your friends. You know, we use that verse a lot when it comes around Veterans Day and Memorial Day, some of those days. And it, it couldn't be more true. It's, it, it couldn't be. Um, more suited for some of those holidays and times of year that we celebrate for our fallen soldiers. But it also represents our day-to-day interaction and friendship with those people that we claim to be true friends. Jesus gave us the perfect illustration and depiction of what friendship was supposed to look like. He was the perfect friend. He is the perfect friend. I, I often get challenged sometimes. Yo, Pastor Andy sp- spoke about reverence a little bit earlier and often get challenged at times. I'm just going to be honest with you guys, calling Jesus my friend because he's my king. He is my creator. He is my sacrificial lamb. He is the one and true perfect sacrifice to allow me to have a relationship with the Father. It's hard to call him a friend but he tells us in Scripture in John that, hey, I am your friend. If we read the rest of that passage, he talks about being a friend. And that we're now, because of the sacrifice, because of the cross, because Jesus came to be with us, we're no longer slaves. We're now friends. Side note, quick little bunny trail. If, If you're not a friend of Jesus, focus on that one first. You got some really important ones out there. I assure you that you do. But if you're not working on that relationship, if you're not in tune with that friendship, start with that one. I know I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek, but I'm being serious. Start with that one, it's the most important one that you can have. Pastor Andy also alluded to it a little bit earlier as well. If you don't know how to make that happen, then come speak to myself, Pastor Andy. Um, we'll probably have some ministry opportunity up here in a little bit. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then, man, I, I, I highly implore you to do that today. It's the biggest and best decision you'll ever make in your life. And it welcomes you into the friendship and relationship with Jesus. It's a great thing. So we kind of talked about what it, what it is and is not to be a biblical friend, to have a biblical friendship. Everyone have a pretty good understanding. All right. So now let's talk about, and we kind of start wrapping this thing up, some applicable things um, to have a biblical friendship. Some of the things that we can do, some of the things we can be in order to not just be a better friend, but seek out better friendships as well. You know, often, you, you can probably attest to this, your friendships. Kind of follow suit with how you act in that relationship. If I'm flaky to my friends and they want to go hang out and do cool stuff and I'm like, yeah, I'll go and then I don't show up, like next time I call them to go hang out and do cool stuff, they're probably not going to show up either, right? People respond in friendship the way that we act out. Number one, be loyal. Pretty simple be loyal. Jonathan was extremely loyal to David, be a loyal friend. Again, even in spite of of the direction from his father, the king of Israel, to to seek out and kill David, Jonathan was still extremely loyal. What we didn't read in some some of that scripture was the plan that Jonathan put forth to let David know that, hey, my dad is serious about wanting to kill you. And not only did he put that plan out, not only did he make a commitment to David, but guess what he did? He walked it out. He saw it to completion. When you make a commitment to your friends, when you make a commitment to be there, if I make that commitment to my friend Jonathan Bradley that, hey, brother, when you need me, you call me, and I I don't care where you're at, I will come to you and take care of you, live out that commitment. We'll talk about this here in just a little bit again, but when you tell tell a friend that you're going to do something, you have to do it. Because we expect the same thing in return, right? Justin, you can head up, sir. If I can get some Garth Brooks, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Number two, be joyful. Be joyful. Have a good time. Have a good time with your friends. Don't go to low places, but have a good time with your friends. You're probably friends because you, you have some common interests, whether it's fishing or, I don't know, shooting skeet or watching movies or, I don't know, sewing, knitting, whatever it is. Be joyful. Do something you enjoy doing. Don't call me to work out. I'm probably not going to go with you. I'll play tennis with you. I'll even play basketball with you, but I'm not going to go work out. I'm not going to go run. This is a pretty cool scripture that, that I, would, I would venture to guess a lot of people I haven't heard. This is written by, by Solomon, who um, is a pretty wise fellow. Ecclesiastes eight fourteen through 15, it says, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say is meaningless. This is good stuff. Listen to this. Listen very closely i read it up there, I bet. Don't read ahead of me. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be glad. Just let that soak in for a second. Be glad. Don't overeat. Eat better stuff if you can, but enjoy doing it. Be glad. Be glad. Hang out with people that make you happy. I understand that there's sometimes people are going through some tough stuff, and not all your interactions are going to be joyful and happy and and full of of laughter and all those things. Sometimes it's full of tears. What we're doing is what we said earlier, we're pulling them up. We're taking them out of the low place to a place where they can be glad, where they can be happy, where they can be full of laughter and joy. Be joyful. Be joyful. Be a joyful person to be around. If you want to lose a friend quick, be a turd. Don't be happy. Go eat with me when I'm really hungry. If I'm really hungry and we go eat and I don't get my food quick, I'm not mean, but I'm like that Danny DeVito commercial. Like, I get grumpy quick. Be joyful. Be happy. Do things that you enjoy doing. Live it up. Live life. He gave, God gave us. Whenever he says we're creating God's image, I don't think that I look like God. I think, but I think my emotional and spiritual characteristics are like his. And I think that if I have the capacity to be joyful and happy, I think that that comes from him. I know that comes from him. Be joyful. This is a good one. It's a really good one. Guilty. Be, be prayerful. Commit to prayer for one another. We can find scripture all over this beautiful book that talks about that. Commit to prayer for one another. But here's the kicker: like who who this week has received a text message or been on a Facebook thread that had the, the praying hands? Anybody? I'm gonna pray for you, girl. My girl, my baby's being so bad. She's she's won't sleep through the night, and my kids getting trouble. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for you, girl. There's so many times, I'm just to be honest with you guys. let be really honest. There's so many times that I commit to prayer for people and my friends that I, I their needs never touch my lips. I hope that I'm the only one. I really do. I hope that I'm the only one. My suspicions that I'm probably not. When you commit to pray for someone, see it through. I give you guys my commitment. That moving forward, I'm going to make a... A very strong effort that when I tell any one of you that I'm going to pray for you, that I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to commit time. I'm going to mark out time on my calendar for the day, my week, whatever the case may be, and I will pray for you. If you tell someone you're going to pray, pray for them. Number four, we got two more. We're almost done. Number four, be encouraging. Be encouraging. That means giving good words, lifting people up. Hey, I believe you can do it. I know this time is tough, but God's got you. He lays out scripture for for how you're supposed to get out of this rut that you're in. I'm living in a high place in tune with my Father so that I can get you out of this place and help and, and be a vessel that God gets you out of this place. Encourage each other. Hey, I know things are rough at home. I know they're tough, but let's pray. Let me pray for you right now, and I'm going to commit to praying for you. I'm going to give you some scripture to read. I'm going to remind you what God has called you to do. I'm going to remind you what God says about you, who God says you are. Encourage each other. Proverbs 27.6 says, this is the flip side of the encouraging. The pains given by a friend are faithful, but the kisses of one who hate you are false. The pains given by a friend are faithful. Has anyone ever had to been checked, just straight up get checked by a biblical friend? Like, hey bro, you ain't living right. Like something is not good that's going on with you and God has called you to do this and you're not doing this. So I'm gonna need you to start doing this because we're biblical friends and I have a commitment and a covenant to you to be a good friend and and remind you what God's called you to do. You ever been, I've been checked. I've been checked a lot of times. Sometimes you got to check somebody. It is what it is. I saw, um, I saw a, a very good friend of mine check another very good friend of mine um, at, at our, our meeting on Wednesday night. We've been meeting as a men's group. Now, granted, I showed up the last five minutes. Wasn't a good friend. Had a baseball game, sorry. Um, but I saw a very good friend of mine check another friend, and something that hey, look, man, you've got to stop saying those things about yourself. God has designed you to be special and, and, and you're, you're perfect the way that you are. That's, we need that sometimes. So encouraging goes both ways. And then lastly, be expectant. This is just a big word for me right now that, that the Holy Spirit has just been putting on me is just be expectant. Everything that you do, be expectant. When you come to church on Sunday morning, be expectant that the Holy Spirit is going to move in your life. When you enter into a covenant relationship with a friend, be expectant that God is going to do things for your life and God is going to do things for their life and maybe most importantly, somewhere in between, he is going to use your relationship to spread the gospel throughout all the land. That your relationship and your expectations are kingdom-minded, they are God-centered, and that something fruitful and good is going to come out of that relationship that you have with each other. If I can read you this real quick. Lots of favorite stories. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke 5, 17-20 says, On one of the days while Jesus was teaching, some proud religious law keepers and teachers of the law were sitting by him. They had come to every town in the countries of Galilee and Judea, and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was there to heal them. Some men took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus, so I'm gonna. Some men, if you read it in different gospels, it talks about these being friends of that man. Of that man, some men took a man. Men took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus, and he was carried on a bed. So I, I'm gonna stop right there, real quick. Hold my thumb there. When I think about these men carrying this man, these friends carrying this man, it's probably not quite as. Um, easy of a journey I would suspect is maybe it would be for me to load you guys up and carry you we have cars we have transportation I probably even have a comfortable bed I can put you in that lifts up and goes down right I could probably even call an ambulance if I really liked you and wanted to pay for it to get an ambulance going to pick you up and take you to, to wherever you we were going to be healed but back in these days I don't, I don't think it was that easy it probably required a lot more of a commitment to load this man up of these four friends to get him to where they knew Jesus was they, took, they looked for a way to take the man to, in the house where Jesus was, but they could not find a way to take him in because of so many people. There were so many people there listening to Jesus. They made a hole in the roof, so mind you, they had to climb to the roof. They had to carry this, this lame man in a bed up, whatever it is they carried him up, to get to the roof. They made a hole in the roof over where Jesus stood, then they let the bed, Jesus is in his house and he's preaching, there's people all over the place, so packed, they can't even get in the front door. Then they let the bed with the sick man on it down before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Hey, I want friends like that. Ooh, I want friends like that. I want friends who have the, uh, to load me up on a bed, carry me across wherever they got to carry me to, to take me in the front door. Oh, no, the front door's blocked there's too many people. But to be so committed to the covenant they've made to me as my friend and have so much expectation of what God and Jesus can do in my life that they will literally carry me up a flight of stairs, bring me on a roof, cut a hole in your roof, and drop me through the roof and lay me at the feet of Jesus. Amen? That's good stuff. That is good, good, good stuff. I want friends like that, but I also want to be that kind of friend. I want to be the kind of friend that, that I don't care what I'm facing. I don't care what, what kind of storm it's going to put me in to be your friend like Jonathan. I don't care if it's going to my father, the king of Israel, who could easily take my head just like he wanted David's. is going to be upset with me because I'm honoring my covenant before God to my friend. I want to be that kind of friend. Go ahead, stand up if you don't mind, please. I just want to pray for you guys real quick. Um, pray for you guys really, really quick. If you need some prayer, someone to talk to, whatever the case may be, I'll 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 be up front. Uh, me and my wife Kiki will be more than happy to pray with you. Um, please come see us and let and, and let us know. We'd love to pray with you. But in closing. I just want to encourage you guys to be that kind of friend. Because here's the deal. This, this, this crazy world we live in right now has a lot of crazy stuff going on. Has a lot of crazy stuff going on. And what, one of the things that, if I can just show some vulnerability, one of the things that frightens me the most is that these people, our friends, my friends, who are in need of true biblical friendship, true God-centered friendship, if I'm not willing to step up and be that friend, if you're not willing to check time, if you're not willing to stand up and be that friend, they're going to find that friendship somewhere. And I pray, I hope and I pray that it's in someone who is Christ-centered. I hope and I pray that it's someone who's going to pull them out of the place they're in and not someone who's going to try to drag them down because I can assure you, I can assure you, I can assure you, I can assure you there are plenty of people on the sidelines waiting for us to drop the ball so they can pull them down. Plenty oh people. I encourage you to be that friend. For our church, for our local church, for this this building, the place we call Freedom, we give you some great opportunities to do that. I'm not going to ask who all is in a a small group um, lesson, whatever you want to call it, small group right now. But that's a great opportunity to start. If you're looking for some of that friendship, if you're looking for some of that friendship, joining a small group on a Wednesday night, Thursday night, Tuesday night, whatever night the group meets is, man, a great way to start that. That's what they're designed to do. That's why we do small groups. That's why we believe they're so important because we believe that we have to live in that intimate friendship with each other. And it's really difficult to do in a setting like this where we're all in this, we have a couple hundred people or so in in a building at one time. You may get to chat a little bit when service is over, or maybe a little bit before. If you're late like me, probably not before, just after. But Wednesday nights, these small group sessions, this is, that's, that's where you can make those connections, and we encourage you to come do that. The second area is this, isn't a, this wasn't a sermon to get you to come serve, but, but try serving in a ministry, whether it's Second Saturday or children's ministry or our youth group or, or the worship team or in media. I can assure you there's tons of areas all over the church that you can serve in. And that's a great way to start building some of those lasting friendships, some of those biblical God-centered friendships. All right, so I love you guys so much. You are awesome. Um, I'm going to pray for you real quick. I'm going to pass over to Pastor Andy. He's going he's to wrap us up. So, Father, again, we love you, Lord. Again, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for another opportunity to come into your house, Lord. God, I thank you for the the friends that, um, that we have here today. Lord, I thank you for, again, just giving us depictions in your word of, of what our Christian life is supposed to look like, um, including our relationships and friendships. Father, I ask you just to just to help me be a better friend. Father, help me have to have more discernment to the needs of my friends, God. Give me wisdom to um, um, to share with them. Father, help me to keep myself in a place that um, that's pleasing to you so that when my friends need me, I can pull them out of the, the place that they're in, God. Father, I ask you just to um, start to just mend hearts inside this place, God. Um, work on forgiveness issues, God. Maybe that's something that's keeping someone from, from some good intimate friendship, Father, is they struggle with forgiveness. Um, I ask you, you know, because of what your son did at the cross, that you'll just take care of those things, Father, in an instant. God, bless our people. Give our people joy. Help them to really root themselves in what, what Solomon said, is that you know, we're supposed to be glad and be joyful, Father. You're a good father. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for who you are. Amen.